Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. Thank you so much for joining us, and here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic. This is Jill Riley, and today I'm excited to have Dr. Zafuchi with us. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Jill. How are you? Good. Did I butcher your last name? Bucci is great. Yes. Bucci is great. Okay. <laughs> How is life in Virginia Beach today? Oh, it's beautiful. Our last official day of summer, I believe, it's going to be 93. And then uh, the rain comes from up north. You're sending it towards us. And uh, then it's going to finally become fall here. Yeah. Do you guys get much of a winter there? Winter there? Uh, well, you know, they told me when we first uh, came uh, that uh, they hardly had snow and those kind of things. I, that's not really true. We do get snow on occasion, but because we're right on the coast, right below the bay, uh, the mountains are west of us. Uh, a lot of those nasty clouds that want to come in here are um, stopped on the other side of 95. Uh, okay. We don't always get all the bad weather. Yeah. Uh, so long have you been teaching at Regent? I'm in my 12th year here. Okay, great. Hey, great. And where that? Uh, well, I way back, uh, I was uh, in a nonprofit for a short while, got into um, uh, contingency recruitment and HR, wanted to be a pastor, uh, wanted to be a church planner, tried that for a while, got back into a corporate HR role. And uh, I was director of training. And uh, at one point, they were consolidating, eliminating positions. And they came to me and said, we know you want to teach, uh, which is, you know, a corporate way of saying, hey, it's time to find something else to do. So by God's grace, I uh, got into a small uh, Christian college, didn't really have, I had two master's degrees, I didn't have a doctorate at the time. So I went back to school at uh, 50 years old and uh, got my doctorate. And uh, then the opportunity came up to come here. That's great. Well, you inspire me. I've been rolling around the idea of a, of a doctorate in my head and I'm almost 50 and I just think, oh, should I do that now or not? <laughs> well, it certainly does. Uh, it depends on the field, obviously, you're pursuing. We both have master's in education. Um, I didn't really have a strong business background, so it was very helpful for me. I worked in a business, but I didn't really have a strong business background uh, from a content knowledge perspective. Okay. So it really helped me uh, to build that pro portfolio. So you wrote a book called Redemption Inc., right? Yes. When, when did that come out? Uh, that was just this year, just uh, okay. officially paperback in July. That's exciting. So is this your first book? No, I actually um, wrote uh, another book before this called Redemptive Leadership. Uh, because, uh, you know, the academic standard is, it's not publish or perish here, but it certainly is strongly encouraged if you're going to uh, uh, become tenured. I uh, took some content from my dissertation, 
which was focused on redemption. And uh, I was able to turn that into a book. Uh, the thing that I was disappointed about was it, it became an academic book. That was the only publisher I could find. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, you asked a question in your notes, um, what led me to write this current book? And what led me to write it was when I sat with a Christian publisher and I had all this content, this research I had done on um, a successful reinstatement of employees who were terminated for cause. And I showed it to this uh, woman representative and she said, well, we wouldn't publish that. I said, well, why not? <laughs> she said, well, it's all about business. I said, well, that's right. You don't have any uh, books in your portfolio, in your line uh, for Christian business people. You need business books. She said, no, right. our people would be interested in redemption in other fields. Mm. So I ended up going to an academic publisher, uh, which turned it into more like a textbook. But in the back of my mind, I was always pondering that and uh, wasn't really sure that I was going to develop something else. But God started bringing people uh, into my uh, experience who had gone through a tremendous uh, redemptive intervention. And uh, I asked them if I could interview them. And uh, it's just some tremendous stories. How did you get so interested in the topic of redemption? Um, what about that uh, really intrigued you? That's a great question. Uh, I guess uh, just in my whole life, there have been mentors, people who've helped me. I grew up in a uh, family that kind of came unglued. Um, folks split up. I was, uh, uh, you know, just dysfunctional as a child. Uh, I got into drugs pretty heavy. Uh, tried to get into school, dropped out, was really going nowhere with my life and actually felt like I, you know, heard from the spirit of God uh, saying to me, you're going nowhere with your life. And uh, just looking at how God was able to give me the opportunity to get back into school, get into a Bible study in school, give my heart to Christ. Uh, But even then, I didn't have the uh, uh, proper disciplines for uh, organizational life. Uh, someone was always coming alongside, showing me uh, how to do certain things. A very patient wife and and other mentors. Uh, it's always been important to me. I opened my book with a forward uh, from Cowper's uh, uh, song, um, There is a Fountain, uh, where mm-hmm. he sings, Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When you you know walk with the Lord and you know this as well as anybody with all your uh, church plants and activities, when you walk through those difficult times, uh, you are just so grateful for his kindness. You step back and you see how things could have developed. And absolutely, uh, you have a tremendous appreciation for that. So the question really was, where's redemption in the management literature? Mm-hmm. I got into uh, my doctoral program and uh, couldn't really find it. I wasn't sure what I was looking for. Am I looking for, uh, you know, some uh, HR functionality? You know, we discipline an employee and and uh, their life turns around. Uh, it occurred to me in that process that, uh, you know, if I'm a manager and I've got 10 people who report to me and one of them keeps screwing up and, and I discipline them, uh, then have is that a redemptive intervention? Or would it be if I fire that person uh, for cause and then 
for some reason, I have to bring them back through an employee assistance program, through a last chance agreement, through a union grievance. Now, it things have changed because it's not just them who has to change. I have to change. Right. Someone has to be that advocate, you know. So that really changed my thinking about redemption in the workplace and what that might look like. Do you think there there is there is a place in the conversation of redemption, of redemption people that are non non people people of not a faith? Is there can this conversation be held be held with or not of faith? Well, that's a good question. Um, if you did a research, if you did a search, uh, redemption, uh, I have a search on Google. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. If you did a, just a word search on redemption, what would you find? I have a, a, a Feedly account and, uh, I get articles all the time on redemption, you know, uh, LeBron James searching for redemption as he goes into, uh, you know, Cleveland and plays the Cavaliers now on his new team or someone, uh, uh, you know, trying to get uh, redemption for, uh, you know, something that happened. A lot of times it's reputation management, it's payback. Uh, but I think deep down, there are fundamental things that I believe uh, in our country, we're a country based on Judeo-Christian values. And I think redemption is, uh, is an inherent value here. Uh, we love the Rocky stories. We love mm-hmm. the uh, the overcoming great obstacles. So I think there's a, there's a, and, and that's, what's great about this, Jill, there's a opportunity to discuss that from a secular uh, human time and space perspective. And then when someone asks the question, why is it you're so interested in this, then you can point to the savior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you tell stories about people that have overcome incredible obstacle obstacles, thrive and survive, and also those who are part of the ladder to help help them to help them come into um, um, a more full place of redemption and grace and restoration. And um, I, as I was reading some of your examples of of you know people that you wrote about, I just I was struck with the fact that I was going into this as a business book, but really, really it's a book about redemption of you know booth and pastors and and right. um, abuse and so many different areas where the application is way more broad spread than than a business. Did you go into it intending that to happen? Well, again, the challenge I received from that publisher uh, to consider redemption in other fields, uh, what I started to do was just collect stories. Um, And as I was reading the stories, there was one article. uh, So you're you're hearing someone's story. I work with a woman uh, who was in an MBA program. Uh, I worked with her for years. Uh, Very uh, uh, well uh, dignified, carried herself well, just uh, very professional woman in an MBA presentation, uh, talking about doing a, uh, presenting a business, developing a business to reach uh, abused women and talking about, and she starts telling a story about this one woman uh, that, and it's so compelling. And then she stops and says, that woman was me. And you start to, you know, you're stepping back, like, how come I didn't know this? And I'm crying in the class, like, 
this is incredible. And I say, I want to sit down with you uh, and, and learn more about this. And so you're, you're hearing her story and then you're doing some back research, right? Cause you just don't want to tell her story. You want to try and give it a full understanding of what uh, people in this category go through. And I read one story about an agency that said, Hey, we're doing the hard work of, of restoring people. Uh, we need someone to help us by offering them the opportunities to get a job. Mm-hmm. So it winds up going back to business because um, business can complete the cycle. That was certainly one of the things uh, that you mentioned in your notes. Uh, completing the cycle is now that th- this restoration has occurred, can we help that person now um, pay it forward? Can we give that person mm-hmm. a new uh, not just a new opportunity, a, a potential new destiny. We change mm-hmm. their lives and it changes their family life and it changes their kids and going forward. So um, business is a key because they help complete the cycle by providing jobs for people. You know, I was telling my students this morning, You, when you complete a job application, the difference between an application and a resume. Resume really is your potential, what you can do on a job. But an application tells me what you've actually done. done. And uh, if there is a gap in employment, a good HR person says, okay, well, what happened between this period and that period, right? So do I want to say, well, I was, <laughs> I was in a shelter. Mm-hmm. I was in a, a drug program. Uh, for prisoners, we know um, uh, across the country, there's this movement called ban the box, uh, which means uh, that box on the application that you check when it says, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we want to give those people the opportunity to go in and speak to the employer and say, by the way, when you do your background check, you're going to find out this about me and my history. Uh, I just want you to know about that ahead of time. They wouldn't right. even get in the door. Uh, if um, in many cases, if that's on the application. So that's a really great example, because for uh, for people that have been previously incarcerated, they check that box, they can't get a job anywhere. And and that's where recidivism begins to happen, because there's no there's no place for them to go. So go. So the process, they've done this, um, you know, gone through the penal system. And then all of a sudden, where is the support? Right. Right. Um, And that's very difficult. Absolutely. And I I haven't talked much about this, but the one chapter my wife was most concerned about was the one about sex offenders, because it's a very controversial topic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, you know, up front, I want to say that, you know, it's it's a horrible thing uh, when it happens. I personally have had this experience, uh, uh, you know, to uh, uh, it's a difficult thing. It's a uh, a crime, uh, but these are human beings as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them, even in the story I tell, it's a story from a chaplain uh, who actually had to reframe her whole understanding of redemption because of the situation these people are in. There are some people who are so extremely um, twisted uh, psychologically, um, they can't be um uh, even they're even separated from the sex offenders in prison. But then there are people in a general population. Some of them have done horrible things. Uh, some of them have done stupid things like the 20 year old uh, young man who takes 
pictures of his 17-year-old girlfriend mm -hmm. and posts those online. Well, that's a crime, right? Underage. Uh, he is convicted and then wears this label of sex offender for the rest of his life. Uh, for the rest of his life, he has extra requirements uh, for probation. Um, again, it's a horrible crime. Uh, the people who do these things are are not good people in many cases, or mm -hmm. all cases. Uh, some of them are, don't realize uh, the impact of what they've done. Uh, there's no justifying it. It's hard for me to, to even consider that. And yet, they're human beings created in the image of God. Uh, right. These are people who are living under bridges because no one wants to deal with them. Mm -hmm. What do we do? What do we do with these people? Uh, where is there an opportunity for them to find redemption? Right. And, you know, grace is found as, as I mean, uh, in our faith, grace is found in Christ and, and, um, and forgiveness can be found in ourselves and from Christ and from others. But that restoration piece is tough because it requires, it requires a human element element in it mm -hmm. that is potentially flawed and potentially mm -hmm. biased. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yes. to overcome that, that, um, what does it take to overcome our own personal biases and our, you know, there's a, there's a funny thing, you know, we want to give people second chances and all of a sudden we want to grace. And, you know, sometimes it feels like there's a really fine line between grace and stupidity, stupidity, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know, I've been burnt on this, this before, I'm not going to do this. And what does it take for someone, someone to overcome their own biases and their own, their mm -hmm. own fear of being a part of this restoration process? Well, so for employers, that's a very difficult thing, uh, especially if they are, um, you know, not people who share the values that we have, who understand restoration. Well, let me tell you another story. Uh, so when I first got into this and I started this research way back when I did, uh, I, I uh, surveyed 46 uh, business people nonprofit leaders who identified as Christian, 46 of them, uh, asked a series of questions on a Likert scale. Okay. Do you believe, uh, you know, faith guides your decision-making, uh, you know, Christ has an influence on your, your work habits? Yes, yes, yes. Very high, right? Okay. So then the question, would you rehire someone you terminated? No. Would you rehire or would you hire a former drug addict? No. Would you hire a former prisoner? No. Not no, but you understand. Uh, right. Faith guides my decision-making very high. Would I rehire one of these people? No, very low. Mm. So you look at that and you say, well, that's really interesting. Uh, how do they express their faith, right? Maybe they're on the finance committee at their church. Maybe they give some money out of their profits uh, to different groups. Uh, uh, we have to be careful when we do research that we don't uh, say, well, you know, this means that they're not doing it at all. No, it means that maybe they're expressing it in a different way. So I ran the same survey when I came here uh, with a group, a general group of uh, managers uh, in the Chamber of Commerce, asked same questions. And we compared the two uh, groups, uh, sets of data. Uh, those who were identified, self-identified as people of faith, were more inclined to say that faith had an influence in their decision-making and uh, played a part in the work that they did. But then there was no difference between the two groups as to whether or not they would offer second chances. Right. Right. 
So again, so my question is, where is Christ in your expression? And and they and this gets into the two spheres, right? And by two spheres, I mean you've got your church sphere and you've got your work sphere or mm-hmm. your you know church and the rest of your life sphere. Right. And you know, it, I work very hard here to convince my students you can't live life like that. You can't right. live a dual life. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian all the time on right. the job, you know, in church, it, the expression needs to be consistent. Right. And it's not, um, like you said, those things have to be integrated. Our faith has to be integrated with the rest of our life. And sometimes I think we live, we live life in the business world, kind of bifurcated from our, from, from everything else. Great word, else. by the way. I was hey, going to use that word, but I was afraid listen, bifurcated. Listen, that's a, that's a good word for 921 <laughs> in the morning for me and one for me and one cup of coffee. <laughs> That's a great word. <laughs> That's at least a two cup of coffee word. And I'm going to oh, get today. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what is it about, about leadership? Well, do you in the book give um, examples or promotions or ways that leaders can operate in a more redemptor? Sure. So um, one of the chapters uh, talks about businesses that are offering second chances, uh, uh, many of which have had... Uh, um, like Dave's Killer Bread uh, had a family member who went through, uh, was in prison. Uh, once he got out, became part of the family business and actually added some value to the family business. And because of that experience and their success, uh, said, well, we want to offer this opportunity to more people. Uh, you know, what, what's being called now fair hiring uh, approaches. Uh, so there are a lot of businesses that have gone into this. Uh, some have done this simply because they know these people cannot find jobs. Uh, so there are examples of what those businesses are doing. I also have a table in the back of the book where I compare um, a traditional hiring track to uh, what a second chance hiring track might look like. And that's based on my initial research. Uh, when I wrote when I did my dissertation and then wrote the first book, Redemptive Leadership, I looked at 18 studies of people who were offered second chances, uh, reinstatement after being terminated for cost, whether it was through an employee assistance program, as I said, uh, um, last chance agreement, uh, union agreements, 18 studies. And uh, in those 18 studies, no one was successful in reinstating people. They'd come back for a little while and then they'd leave. Uh, They might say they were bulletproof. In other words, you can't touch me now, but they never stayed with the business and their Mm -hmm. performance was never really that good. So then you ask the question as a good researcher. So who has been successful and uh, what did they do differently? Mm -hmm. So that was the basis of my first book. And I use that as a table in the back of this book to show a different track. So what they did was uh, they really dug into um, the reasons that the first uh, termination did not work. What happened there? What things could we have done differently or better? Uh, they got other people involved, the other stakeholders involved, and said, hey, this is what we're doing. You know, this can't just be one manager who right. decides I'm going to rehire people. Everyone's going to find out. Uh, so it has to be a commitment on the part of the organization. I can tell you a story about that once I go through some of this. Um, They created these shared agreements. You understand that you're getting the second chance and you understand that you're going to be under much more scrutiny. 
Um, and this is how we're going to, this is what this job is going to look like. This is how we're going to evaluate you. Uh, so there is a process uh, that we've outlined uh, to try and uh, give business people the opportunity to, to think about it. And it's happening. Uh, I mentioned in my little note that I sent you, um, there's a group of businesses that have started what's called Second mm-hmm. Chance Business Coalition. That was highlighted in a CNBC article right before uh, my book, my second book uh, was published, which was great. It was great, great. So that I could say, look, people are actually doing this. Um, and then the McKinsey article, which uh, uh, they talked about why there's a great a resignation. And uh, they talked about how to keep these people. And they also talked about alternative hiring pools of which uh, former prisoners and these kind of people are an alternative. It's it's opening one's eyes uh, to realize that there are other pools of employees, potential employees, who are available. And, and the fact is, according to my understanding, my research, 75% of employees, 75% of employees uh, demonstrate some level of aberrant behavior. They're <laughs> late. They're absent. They, you know, do absurd things on the job. They say stupid things. They act, you know, all the way up to violence, right? Um, And certainly we're not condoning that. But, um, you know, the question of the perfect hire, like you said, none of us are perfect. Uh, All of us have our warts and wrinkles. And so can we provide a place where we can accommodate people's differences and and help support them. What's the goal? Is the goal to hire a perfect employee or is the goal to meet customer expectations, to build good products? I think think partially, correct me if I'm wrong, I think part of what you're saying is that the whole culture and the ethos of the organization has to support this this idea of, of restorative practice. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so one of the stories in the book is about Tara Myers, right? The um, the teacher uh, who, uh, as a young woman, um, needed money, and so she decided to film pornographic films. Uh, she accepted Christ uh, after this and uh, got away, got out of this business, and uh, uh, tried to put this life behind her. Uh, the unfortunate thing was, Uh, the internet would not allow her to put this life behind her. So she's changed her identity several times. And more recently, last time I uh, was able to touch base or not talk to her, but see some information online, she had uh, lost uh, another job uh, Mm. because the information came out. So the school district in which she worked, she wanted to give back. She was a teacher. She wanted to live a, a fairly normal life and teach young children. Um, but the school district found, well, first uh, students found out. They researched her on the internet and they found all this stuff out. And then the school district makes a really uh, interesting response to it. Uh, this is what we're teaching children about, you know, that they shouldn't do these kind of things. Well, you're teaching them to be perfect. You're teaching them that, uh, you know, you should never do these kind of things. Yeah, it would be nice if we never made mistakes, Uh, but we should be teaching them that uh, we correct mistakes. We uh, do homework and we review your homework and we help you to know how to do things better the next time. Um, So 
yes, it has to be an organizational commitment uh, to helping people uh, be restored. And, and it can be a tremendous blessing. Uh, these people are extremely loyal. The CNBC article had research that confirmed mine is anecdotal, but CNBC uh, article had research that said people are more loyal, more committed to the organization, uh, more committed to the organization. Aren't these the kind of people that we want to hire? Right. People that live with gra- with gratitude and um, the cultural that we want. Right. Let's talk about let's talk about a couple of groups that I think that I think um, this is particularly challenging in. First of all, the military, when something happens um, that is is uh, to not counterculture, but something that is wrong in the military, there really isn't a lot of redemptive, let's pat you on the head and help you up to the next level, is there? Well, that's you're setting me up here. So thank you. That's very good. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So there's one chapter where I talk about a young man who's in the Navy, and the Navy has three levels of uh, correction. Uh, we we all know Fort Leavenworth, which is the bad place, right? Uh, but they actually have this custodial corrections unit. And um, all the uh, officers there volunteer for that uh, work. And the young man told me the story about uh, he was just, he was from the streets. He still had the streets in him. Uh, he tried to change his way when they promised him a great opportunity. But then as soon as he screwed up, he lost all those opportunities and he went back to the streets in his behavior. Uh, he didn't physically go back there, but it was in his nature. Right. Um, and instead of bouncing him out of the military, uh, they provided his, uh, his, um, senior officer, uh, assigned him to this, uh, custodial corrections unit. And he was broken there. And that's their whole goal is to try and, Again, it's it's a very similar process to what I documented in my first book uh, to uh, cause these people to really consider, do I really want to live like this? Uh, mm-hmm. Do I really want to make a change? Uh, there has to be some incentive, some self-awareness. I'm at the end of myself and uh, I can continue on this or I can change my behavior. It's never going to be easy, uh, but uh, these people are willing to help me. Uh, uh, Donald Miller, in his uh, book about story branding, uh, which may be familiar uh, to some folks, talks about uh, really marketing needs to be like a movie. All movies have a hero and a guide who comes along to help them. Again, that's mm-hmm. we're redemptive as a culture. Uh, and, and here we have this uh, Navy sailor who should have been out of the Navy who gets into this situation and these people want to call, come alongside of him. Uh, but it's a hard path. You've mm-hmm. got to be willing to accept the help. Right. Part of my hope through the book is uh, for pastors and lay people uh, to be able to say, uh, maybe they themselves, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I have this problem. I should get help. That would be a great thing. It would be painful. You'd have to leave your job, perhaps, unless your company has an employee assistance program. Uh, It would be difficult uh, to face this uh, and be honest with yourself. But on the other side, it is so much better to be freed from these kind of things. Right, right. Um, Let me ask you, I ask about the second group, is is redemption and is it a process? Say it again, I'm sorry. Is redemption an event or a process? That's a good question. Um, 
I keep saying that. All of your questions are great. <laughs> um, well, I think it's important to differentiate um, uh, redemption from reputation management, right? Um, uh, you know, Will Smith is uh, in a uh, process of reputation management, or maybe he doesn't care. I, I don't know. I, um, <laughs> you know, in order to be able to be back in the good graces of those people who make those decisions, he's got to... Uh, clean out his reputation, you know, uh, Mel Gibson, uh, other people, uh, you know, there's, there's a definite process that they go through. I think uh, redemption is a long-term process. Uh, and, and there's a couple uh, things to consider. When someone comes to an altar and they make a profession of faith, now we know that as Christian people, right? They get on their knees, mm-hmm. cry out to God. Uh, as soon as they walk away from that altar, does it mean they've you know, they've quit drinking. Does it mean they're healed of pornography? Does it mean that? No, probably not. Uh, in many, you know, rare cases, it, it, it can happen. But in many cases, you wake up the next day and all those habits are still there. Uh, so it's a long-term process, but there's a desire, there's a spiritual energy interest in transformation, right? Uh, so uh, it is uh, a long-term process and people need the encouragement and help to go through it. I, I, something else came to my mind here. Oh, it's the, um, what I call the two sides of redemption. I think the scripture is pretty clear on this. There's plenty of scriptures that talk about this. Jesus said in John chapter 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's your first spiritual redemption and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's the other side of redemption, right? Um, uh, Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So now glorify God in your body. Mm-hmm. I think this is an ongoing process. Otherwise, every time we come to an altar and profess Christ, boom, we'd be gone. Right. Uh, but God right. is yeah. working out his perfect plan in our lives. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has ordained for us to do. And I think our activity is a redemptive activity. If we mm-hmm. see what Christ has done, the woman at the well, I love that. I'm the woman at the yeah. well. Come see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. He he read my mouth. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell other people, people who have no, I just imagine that out of context, Samaritans hated by the Jews. Jesus spent two days there, probably blew his disciples away. But they said after that, at first we we came because of what she said, but now we ourselves believe. If we would be open to the fact that God has us available to be his redemptive agents here on earth, I think it would really change our approach to Absolutely. how we do a lot of things. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. So talk real quick about about, um, about the church and and the you know, when someone has, especially leadership in a church, has a moral failure or has a, a relational failure, um, um, and feel like there is no way back. There's no right. way back to leadership. Absolutely. There's no way, no way back to right. um, to being a place where you feel like God has called you to be. What mm-hmm. is what is your um, experience and research and all that say about leadership oh. in the church? Church. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, 
there are a lot of people, prominent names. I don't want to mention mm-hmm. John McCarthy. Oh, I said John McCarthy. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of folks who would say you can never be in a leadership role again uh, right. when you've when you've compromised in that particular way. Um, and I would say, again, what do we believe about redemption? Uh, you could say, well, we believe in redeeming them to fellowship, restoring that relationship, but never putting a person into a position of trust. Well, I, I certainly understand that. Very interesting research from the LifeWay group about uh, pastors' perceptions on this Um uh, different pastors, uh, pastors of churches with smaller attendance more, were more likely to suggest that a pastor withdraw permanently after committing adultery as compared to those who pastor larger churches. <laughs> Why that is different, I Why? don't know. That's crazy. Methodist pastors were more likely to select that a pastor who commits adultery does not need to withdraw from public ministry. <laughs> interesting. I, you know, it's very interesting research on this. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, at the time that we did this, uh, uh, I interviewed this pastor, very few denominations have a plan. And mm-hmm. I don't know why they don't, because the research suggests that pastors under tr- are under tremendous pressure, and many of them are dropping out of the professional, right. I call it professional right. ministry, because we're all in ministry, right? Ephesians mm-hmm. 4.12. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the role of the leadership in those churches to prepare us for ministry. So they are professionals and I'm a professional in a different field. I guess I usually say when I'm here at work, I'm paid to be good. When I'm at church, I'm good for nothing. Right. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it's another area where people are failing or dropping out at an alarming rate. So what, what is being done to stem the tide to try and help them. Those who, you know, you understand, mm-hmm. you feel so called deep within you. I want to pursue this. I felt the same thing, dragged my lovely wife into this situation. And then three years into this church plant, she came to me one day and said, I don't know about you, but I hate this and I'm leaving. Mm. So so then I talked to my mentor, my uh, spiritual leader in this church plant, and he said, well, then what are you called to? to what are you called? So he didn't help me. He mm-hmm. hammered me with that. Um, I was fortunate that I followed my wife. I said, I, I'm not going to abandon my wife because I think this is such an important thing. Right. Um, but I was fortunate that 25 years when the church uh, reached his 25th anniversary, I was able to, uh, they invited me back and I heard them reading things I had written about my vision for this church. And mm. a lot of those things were there. I saw evidence of it. Um, so, you know, God is the God who restores the years right. locusts has eaten. You know, I belong to a smaller denomination, smaller in the sense of what I formerly belonged to and, and they have a programs in place for exactly what you're talking about for people who have moral failure failure or who have personal fear or personal loss or um i mean and and they go through process of restoration and when they talk about restoration they restoring you 
to a former place or to a place of leadership in so much, so much as you want to, are willing to, you know, um, and a great example of this was there was a pastor, pastor who embezzled money, went to prison, came back out, went through the restorative process, and now sits on that board to minister to people who are under disciplinary action and to encourage them to walk through the process. I went through, I went through, I went through a major mental break down and and in that process they told me um listen you will, will have to walk away relationship before we do we're not walking away we're going to walk with you on that's this. awesome and i think you know the jesuits have jesuit um catholics have this this um witness of god with us and i think that's really what we need in need right. in workforce and especially in the church church is that sense god walks with us through through this process has not abandoned us at at the point of our inner or the point of our decision that was harmful right right yeah i i think leaders are overwhelmed with trying to do these things themselves. Congregations should embrace their role as part of the redemptive process. I mean, where else do we go? Um, Again, an employer should and could have an employee assistance program to help people, but really the church is the spiritual assistance program where we pray alongside of people and we get in their business. Hey, I'm praying for you. This is a very difficult time that you're going through. One study that I did, uh, I looked at, I didn't do, I found a study in Texas over a 20-year period of people who started businesses, right? Uh, Two two and a half million businesses were tracked over a 20-year period. 71% of the people who tried to start a business and failed the first time never tried again. Uh, now, we always tell our students, well, you know, entrepreneurship is part, you know, you're going to fail, you're going to make mistakes. But when you try again, you're more successful. And that research suggested that people who tried again were more successful. People who tried a third time were even more successful. But 71% of people in that survey failed and never tried again. Mm. And they live with that failure. And they carry that failure. They see it in the mirror they just, it comes back to them over and over again. Uh, we should not be our failure, um, but who is coaching us, encouraging us to say, look, I'm, I'm with you. You're not a failure. There were things that we learned. We can take this and turn it into a positive. We can redeem this experience and use it uh, to God's glory. Uh, that needs to be the message. I, I don't hear that message uh, from the pulpit. Uh, but certainly that's the message that I'm trying to carry out through the book. Well, and shouldn't that be, um, uh, activated and in a lot church in so much as it becomes a template for the rest of our lives? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, again, I, um, uh, other research I did, I don't mention it in this book. I went and looked at, uh, I, I studied 50 servant leadership Theories, you know, servant leadership is one of those big buzzwords in the church. Um, out of the fifty uh, theories, eighteen were scripturally based. Twelve used uh, Jesus' uh, uh, words in Matthew twenty twenty eight and or Mark ten forty five. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, some of those um, theories cut that verse and have bifurcate the verse. Uh, just use the first part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
really the understanding of that verse from theologians I've talked to say that Jesus came to serve by giving his life, mm-hmm. by being a ransom. So if Jesus could give his life as a ransom to redeem others, then that's the message that we need to carry ourselves to be redemptive agents to the people around us. And not just from the fire, not just from the eternal, okay, you know, uh, turn or burn type of thing, but hey, let me encourage you. Those habits are inappropriate. Let's talk about how we can do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, I know you failed on this. Another study. I'm sorry, I got lots of studies here. Uh, a study that was done on uh, people who failed in a bank in a financial services industry. Okay. The people who failed and left the company and pursued other careers went further in their careers than the people who stayed to clean up the mess. Now, isn't that the wrong message, right? Yeah. It should be that the people who stayed. Who stayed. Right. Right. More longevity. Well, just the fact that you had the character to say, hey, I made this mess. I'm going to stick around and clean it up. What do you do with that study? What do you do with that? You you look (laughs) at that and you say, you know, that's really the wrong message. And right. it shouldn't be about career longevity. It should be about character. It should be, hey, I made this mess. I'm going to clean it up. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy mm-hmm. about it. Because again, you have to face yourself. I failed. I, I fell short. Yeah. Read uh, Romans 3.23. All um, of us have, know. have. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, um, I just completely lost my train of thought, but, but I think that um, uh, one of the things that you said that just, just mentioned character and something we always told our children is we will fight for your care character, fight for your spiritual health, and we'll fight for your character. And really that's what we do. That's what we need for each other. And, um, and for people that we answer to and, and for people to answer to us in the 360 view, 60 viewpoint is we'll fight for your character. Mm-hmm. Amen. Right. And so trying to get uh, our children, my students, uh, this morning we did an exercise, a leadership shield. You know, what's on the shield? What are the values that you are carrying? You know, uh, I've told them. I heard this from Tony Evans. It's not original. You know, I'm a Christian first. I don't define my Christianity by my color, by my political uh, agenda. I'm a Christian who just happens to be a white male. I'm a Christian who just happens to vote conservative. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian first. I shouldn't let anything define or modify my Christianity. But then you have to say, well, what does that look like? What are my values? What do people see? Or what do I want them to see on my shield? Uh, That's what we're trying to do here in uh, educating the next generation of Christian leaders. That's excellent. Well, I have really enjoyed this conversation. I have I have the hint of the fact the fact that I think we could a really long time and and enjoy ourselves. But um, where can people find Redemption Inc.? Redemption Inc. on your favorite uh, uh, online uh, bookstore, uh, currently in paperback form or an ebook. I'm working on an Audible uh, version right now. Hopefully, we'll have that by uh, 
the end of the year, if not sooner. So um, Redemption Inc., Joseph Bucci, uh, you'll find it and buy many copies. Give them to all your friends. Perfect stocking stuffers. When, of course, um, this isn't going to drop. This won't drop until after Christmas. Well, that's right. They'd be way prepared for for Christmas 2020. Thanks do you have a, Do you have Do you have a website? Yes, website www.josephjbucci.com. All right. All right. Well, thank you, sir. I thank look you. forward to um, people's re- re- inter- with interaction with this podcast, and I'm excited about it. So you have a great day. Thank you. You're so kind to have me on. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.